do we have the skills to help our people transition to the next best thing when there's not a global pandemic, when there's not external forces forcing us to change? Can we have better self-management as a team to make that happen because we want to, because it's the right thing to do, because the mission calls for it, because our stakeholders need it? As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sippel Jr., Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. I have the distinct pleasure today to be with Stephanie Krevins, the CEO and founder of Stephanie Krevins and Company, and the host of the Hot Mess Hotline. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. (laughs) It's an honor to introduce other podcast hosts to our (laughs) community and other great people, great humans doing fantastic work that are passionate about everything that they're bringing into the world. So community, give a little round of applause for Stephanie. And I'm excited for you to get to know her and about her brand and about the work that she does today. So Stephanie, let's jump right in uh, a topic that continues to come up for the organizations and leaders that we support is change management is this state of how do we get humans to identify that change is needed, that it's value, that it's not happening to them, but something that they can be a part of and help progress their organizations. What work are you finding in the space of change management that is resonating with people and where do people get stuck? Yeah. So Part of what I've been discussing right now as we enter true disaster recovery phase from the economic fallout of the pandemic is, one, we have to recognize that over the past year, technology advanced by 10 years. Like our adoption of technological tools and the way that we use them and the way that we use remote work for our cultures has advanced in 10 years in basically about 10 months. That's an amazing rapid rate of change that all of us are, you know, many of us are still kind of reeling from and trying to keep up with. That makes great sense to me. But I think the question that all of us as leaders have to ask ourselves and our teams is, how do you create change? How do you remain adaptable when there's not a global pandemic? Because the global pandemic forced our hand for a lot of things that should have changed a long time ago. You know, I had a a director of operations who his accounting manager, he was asking her for three years to go to a digital lockbox system so that they weren't processing manual checks. So it didn't rely on somebody physically handling checks, which is an accounting kind of a, a lack of security in the accounting process nowadays, or a security flaw, I guess you can say. And He had been asking her to go to a digital lockbox service for three years and she never had time and she never had time and, oh, it's going to take months to do. And when the pandemic forced everybody home just a little over a year ago, he made it happen in two weeks. Was it pretty? No. Was it smooth? No, but he made it happen. And so I I think that's the question that all of us have to ask ourselves is, 
do we have the skills to help our people transition to the next best thing when there's not a global pandemic, when there's not external forces forcing us to change? Can we have better self-management as a team to make that happen because we want to, because it's the right thing to do, because the mission calls for it, because our stakeholders need it? And those are the tools that I'm working with my folks on. So Stephanie, there's the, the, we talk a lot about the difference between important and urgent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I believe that COVID forced people to go after things that were urgent and had to happen in order to keep lights on, employees engaged, customers happy and satisfied. How do you manage the priorities of what should change? Because clearly, you know, let's talk about that accounting manager for a second. Clearly, there was either fear of the change because I want to hold the check and I want to feel the check, or it just wasn't a priority. Correct. How do you reconcile that of figuring out what's urgent, what's priority, what should, you know, many organizations thought they couldn't go remote and here they are. Now there's companies saying they're never going to go back. Some that are going to have a two to three day hybrid system, which I would say is the majority from what we're hearing. And then the the other major majority is like, we're just going to be more flexible, mm-hmm. right? Which they could have done 30 years ago. And instead, <laughs> they're deciding to make that, that grand decision now. But how do you prioritize? How do you figure out where to even focus as it relates to change management, which leads to more innovation and more output? Yeah, so I think, we're at a stage now where we need one-year plans, one or two-year plans at the most. You know, I'm advocating with a lot of my folks that they not create true strategic plans because there's just so much uncertainty. You know, if there's an interim strategic plan, if it's one or two years out, that makes really good sense to me. And I know folks will disagree and that's fine. (laughs) We can have that conversation, but I believe firmly that we need a year-long plan. You take your year-long plan, you break it into quarters and say, all right, what are our goals for every single quarter? You take the quarter that you're in right now, you break it into months. What are the projects that have to get done this month and the other two months in order to accomplish those quarterly goals? From there, you define what is urgent and important, which is one bucket. And then you also define what is important and not urgent. And a lot of folks will say, you know what, make sure your important and urgent work gets done first. And I say, no, make sure your important and not urgent work gets done first so that important work doesn't become urgent because that's when we start to feel overwhelmed. That's when we get stressed. That's where I think we can take a lot more control over our time and in meeting our goals by blocking out the important and not yet urgent work on our calendars. So you're getting those big rocks done when you have thinking space, when you're not overwhelmed, when the pressure is not on. That's how I think about my own calendar every single week. Helps keep me sane a little bit. But I think as as managers, as leaders, we've got to help our people step back into, I'm going to use the word calmness, but yet keep a fast pace because we still have to adapt to the many changes that are happening in our clients' lives, in our suppliers' lives, in our employees' lives. But we need to make sure the important work gets done every single week to advance those goals. So as we look at the communication of here's what's going to change, it creates anxiety. It creates 
stress. It creates what's going to happen to me and my role and my normal, what I believe is normal and what I'm comfortable in. So let's talk a little bit about the psychology of change. Oh, yes. Because there is such, it's like there's so much pre-work that goes into creating any type of change. That's right. Right? There's so much internal research, individual research, understanding behaviors, identifying where roadblocks and immediate barriers are going to get thrown up with individuals that you need to come alongside of you. And again, part of the disruption in the last 14 months is we just changed and everybody's got to figure it out. Yes. Talk a little bit about how can a manager, which you focus on, the middle of the organization that influence, Mm -hmm. you know, you could argue that have the most direct influence of anyone else in the company. Yes. How do those individuals, if I am one, how are you going to help me or how are you going to identify where I'm at? Am I ready? And how will you help bring me along? Yes. So my friends, if you've not yet dug into the change curve, which I'm assuming we can put a link to in the show notes, this is the key tool for change. So a couple of things that I don't believe. I don't believe change is hard and I don't believe that people don't like change. That is fundamentally not true. As leaders, it's easy to say and it's easy to throw up our hands and be like, well, people don't like change and they just won't change. So I got to give up on the thing that I think we should push for. And I say, no, leader, you need more tools in your toolbox to bring people along with you. More planning, more communication. So the change curve is the way that all of us as human beings work through change, especially when it's not within our control, right? We have to remember as leaders, we spend months and months planning a change initiative for our organization, to add a new program, to disinvest from a current program, to change target audiences. And then we present that to our staff in one meeting or one email, and we expect them to get on board. And (laughs) it doesn't work. So two tools here. One is the change curve. We have to remember is when we present that information, they go into denial mode. Oh, no, that's not really going to happen. Oh, you said we were going to do that two years ago and we didn't follow through, whatever, right? And so the change curve, which oddly enough looks like the grief process as well, which is real sick and twisted, but this is how it is. They deny, they try to negotiate, they try to blame others, they try to blame themselves to hold on to the status quo because our human brains are wired for safety. So that we stuck together so that we didn't get eaten by the woolly mammoth or the saber-toothed tiger or whatever existed back then when, when us humans were evolving. We are wired for safety and comfort. And so the change curve tries to keep us in that safety zone. And as leaders, we can't, we can't allow our companies to stay there, which means we can't allow our people to stay there. And so what happens after they deny it, try to negotiate it, blame, shame others, they go into the valley of despair. They get real confused. Some change curves call this depression. I think that's a little a little much, but they go into confusion land. And here's how you know that your f- teammate is in confusion land around change. They've sat through three trainings or they've read the emails that you've sent out or the meeting. They're like, I'm so confused about what we're doing. No one's told me this before. Like, I can't believe this is happening. No, they're just in the valley of despair and confusion land. That's all that it means. So your job is to help them to take the next best step. Keep communicating that vision. 
keep helping them understand why it's so important that they do the work that is necessary and, and hold them accountable to it too, right? But just ask them to take the next best step and they eventually walk themselves out of the change curve. Keep in mind, I said they walk themselves out of the change curve, out of the valley of despair there. Your job is to coach them through that, get them into problem solving mode, and then eventually it will become the new status quo. And then you got to introduce more change, but help them walk themselves out of that confusion land by just taking the next best step. So the second tool that you need as a leader is what I call the seven by seven by seven communication plan, because most leaders want to send one email, hold one meeting about it and expect people to be clear on what the vision is and where we're headed and who's involved and what it means for their role. And instead, the seven by seven by seven says, as a leader, you need a communication plan where you have seven messages. So you got to think like a marketer on this one, right? And this could be results, people, process, new teams, new resources. I just gave you five right there. You need seven messages by seven channels, which is the tools that you use to communicate. So it could be the TV in the hallway that you use to display messages. It could be an email. It could be an all staff. It could be a fireside chat. The channels are the tools that you use to communicate and they can't all be emails. And then you repeat that seven times, seven messages, seven channels, repeat it seven times. Don't do the math on it. Just do the work. But that's what it truly takes to communicate change adequately. I wish I could make it easier for managers who are driving change, but that's what it takes to get humans on board. Stephanie, when you mentioned earlier, when you started off, you said you believe that individuals actually desire change. We too have found that in our research that we've done for over 13 years, found that when you have an environment that focuses on your employees' personal growth, which also impacts professional growth, yes, individuals actually thrive on change and challenge. So growth, change, and challenge are three critical pillars for employee development. So we could not agree with you more that if you do it the right way and you help people be a part of and feel like they are a part of the change and they're a solution to help navigate through and they understand why and they believe in you and they have trust in you, and they feel like all you want for them is what's best. Therefore, what we're saying we're going to do is going to be okay for me too. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's going to be different, but I'm going to grow and I'm going to experience challenge that is going to make me not get complacent and feel like I'm sitting in the same seat over and over and over in the proverbial groundhog day. Yes. But It's, do you have a culture where people feel valued, heard, and understood? Mm -hmm. They trust the leader. They can be vulnerable. They can share the crazy ideas that are going to need to come up when we're going through change or the feedback that here's what's taking place and here's what I don't understand. You're right. Most leaders say, here's where we're going. Figure out how to get there. Yes. Which feels great to no one. So... (laughs) Besides the person giving the message who's like, I'm already there. But think about if you're that person and you're like, yeah, why is that? I I feel like I'm already there. People should catch up. Aren't I the leader? 
think about how long it took you to get to that point. Uh-huh. Right. Cause some of us forget the fact that we've been working on it for 18 months. That's no right. No one else has known about it. Yep. Or our board's been talking to us about it for three years. And we finally decided to put action in it. But you've got to help others catch up and get yes. where you are. So walk me through the seven by seven by seven again. Are there certain elements of communications that we should be putting through a filter of how, what to put into those seven channels? Yeah, so... When I think about communication, I think of it through the lens of DISC because DISC is a behavioral profile that I use a lot in my coaching and I'm a big fan of and has been transformative for me and my clients. And so I always start with what are the results that you're seeking, right? Like tangible, measurable results that you're seeking. Who is involved? So who are the individuals? What are the roles? What role will they play in this change? What are the teams? So what are the groups of people involved in that, which are different than the individuals, right? Those are two very different resources in an organization. What's the process for getting there? So those are four messages that we need to communicate right off the bat. Fifth is always the vision, right? Like what will be different in two, three, five, 10 years because we engaged in this? You can talk about What's the commitment that, that is needed from them? Not only what are you going to do as a leader, what's the company going to do? What is required of them in order to adopt this change? The accountability needed for this to happen. What's at stake if you don't do this? That's another message that you can build in. And so be creative. I leave it fairly open-ended just because I work with so many different cultures that it might vary from culture to culture as to what's really important. But th- those are always my starting place. Vision, results, individuals, teams, processes needed in order to get there. That's baseline for me. And then you can add add from there. I think one of the things that you want to think about too, when you're in your communication planning, formal and informal. We tend to rely overly rely on formal communication channels. Don't underestimate the power of popping into somebody's office. Hey, you want to go? Let's walk down the hall, socially distanced right now, of course, and let's go grab a cup of coffee. And while you're doing it, just be like, hey, any questions about that meeting that we had last week where I unveiled what we're going to accomplish in the next two years? What excites you about it? What are you nervous about? What are your fears? That informal communication can make all the difference in the world as to whether or not somebody chooses to get themselves on board. And I would also share with those listening, you're going to hear lots of different perspectives because employees do connect and share how they feel about conversations, right? Yes. So you're not just going to learn about that one individual's perspective, but the organization. And I think we as people leaders have to get to a place where the feedback is wanted. It's truly viewed as a gift. Mm-hmm. You don't just say it, but you actually act it. And you want to know how things resonated. What was a disconnect? What do I need to be clearer on? How could I have gotten to the point sooner? What did I not hit on that's making everyone go me? Because think if it's a natural tendency, you referenced earlier, the kind of the psychological makeup of all humans. We want safety, which is the same reason why all humans are biased. Because we're born into a world that we immediately create our safety net. So for those that are like, 
you know, I don't understand why people think that way. Well, that's how they've grown up and that's their life experiences that leads them to think that way. So Mm -hmm. including some people have been through personal change in their life that they don't want to deal with again. And when you say change, it makes them start bringing up all of those emotions. And, you know, we say we want employees to bring their whole self. So create an environment where they can and an environment where they feel safe to do so, to be able to communicate, well, here's what the house, how that makes me feel. Right. And we should care. So even though we want to move the organization along because it's right for the company, the employees you have on your team, you should care how they're responding. And you should be thinking about how can I, as a leader, bring something a little different to them to ensure I meet those needs of what they're, what they're caring most about. So Stephanie, you mentioned DISC. How do you utilize DISC to draw out how I, as a people leader, need to communicate about change? What does DISC help you unpack? Where does it fit into your, your structure? Yeah, so I've used DISC with my individual executive coaching clients for years now, and, and I use it as a foundation for team coaching as well. I do some team building um, work with my small privately held businesses, but a lot of it is team coaching, which is a newer methodology in the in teamwork. And the competencies are coming out from the International Coaching Federation that we're following, which I think is really important. But it's a helpful place to start first for self-awareness, right? That's We may not use DISC to diagnose other people or tell people what's wrong with them. We only can use DISC for our own self-awareness. But For me, you know, the first time I read my DISC report back in 2010, I think it was, 2009, I read it and I was like, oh, that's why people think I'm a jerk. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought everyone thought like I did. Of course they don't. But, you know, I use it as as a way, first and foremost, for me to filter myself as an individual, knowing that I have such a strong drive towards a level of dominance and influence that my communication is glaringly lack in team and process. And so I know for myself, I have to purposefully add in those levels of communication around team and process because my brain, it's a bias. My brain simply does not see it until I force it to do so. All of my listeners listening in today, you have the same bias without self-awareness. And so for those on your team that have the bias towards team and process, or the complete opposite of you, they're not going to hear what they need to hear in order to get on board. And so it's your job to communicate more thoroughly for the variety of skill sets that are out there so that they can get themselves on board. Oh, I get so passionate about it. Like we have to acknowledge our own weaknesses as human beings, our own blind spots so that we can connect with other human beings. But using DISC for self-awareness, I think is, is critical for change. Because you just don't know what you don't know about yourself until you dig in and use some of these scientifically valid assessments just to help you better understand your own self so that you can connect with other people so that you can adapt to other people's styles. Yeah, I'd love the, you know, the thinking process that you just struck me as we learn our styles. Because people are so different, they're in a very different place from where you are. So like the comment earlier around you're ahead of the curve because you've been working on this for a while. Yes. And, or you've been aware that they, those in the organization have been working on it for a while. You still have to create clarity 
of what's happening, why it's happening, what's about to take place, why we want to go through this, where we've identified our gaps are, and then the commitment that you have as an organization to help them navigate this, that we need you Mm -hmm. to be a part of this because without you, nothing happens, right? That's right. And they have to hear that before they ever start saying, you know, tomorrow I'm going to do this differently. And if you get into a rhythm where this is the case, I, Stephanie, I had an organization that I worked with for probably 10 years and they were constantly reorging and we would make placements there. And six months, 13 months later, we would get an email, Hey, we're reorging. And it became like, I was like, how are everybody so comfortable with this reorging thing? Like this is awkward. It's very strange to me how often they're restructuring their teams, their vertical markets, their go-to-market approach. But what I found was people thrived on it because the employees got so used to it. It was like excitement. Like, what am I going to learn new this time? Right. And to be frank, 10 years later, I mean, there's one sales executive that we placed there at the beginning of her career. And we're probably 14 years out from her being in that organization. And she is so well-rounded. She is such an incredible, I mean, she's got a viewpoint that most people don't have because of that management structure of constantly reorging and adjusting and tweaking and never keeping people, letting people get too comfortable was really what it was about. And we don't want anybody to get (laughs) quite so comfortable. We want to keep people on their toes. They know they have to bring their best at any time because it is, it was a sales culture. It was a performance driven, accountable environment. But the people who came out of that environment are some of the most incredibly talented and educated and high performing leaders that I've had the pleasure to interact with. So there's really something to this of creating a culture where change is welcomed because that means excitement. And the only way you can do it is if people trust you and you've proven to them, this isn't to pull a rug out from under them. It's to help better them and the way that we serve our customers and clients. Yes, yes, yes. It's almost a growth mindset baked into a culture and people know that you're going to be challenged here. You're going to be asked to step up your game. I think that's a beautiful thing because that's an organization that's going to be here in 50 years and still growing, still being able to serve the world and serve their people in a meaningful way because they were able to keep up. That's a beautiful thing in my book. That is awesome. That is awesome. So one of the things that I've stated a few times publicly from having the opportunity to be on the Hot Mess podcast (laughs) is the whole phrase troublemaker, which I love, which I connect with, which I've talked about in various spaces where I've been speaking. Share with me a little bit about what becoming a pro troublemaker means to you and why you promote that and advocate for it. Yeah. So one, it gets people's attention. You're like a pro troublemaker. I'm not sure I like that. I'm like, let me invite you over to the light side, my friend. (laughs) So pro troublemaker is juxtaposed with a troublemaker. So the troublemaker, we know this person in our organization. It is the devil's advocate. It is the person that nitpicks our ideas as soon as we present them. And there's a place for like poking holes in our arguments, but 
a troublemaker nitpicks, like just breaks down everything that won't work and is, is really excited to tell you why, which feels like junk on the other side. A troublemaker is that overachiever that never asks for help and burns herself out. It is a person that is not flexible. They feel rigid. They use the rules against you. They never want to break the rules or they break the rules just to break them because they don't care about the team. They're the person that refuses to follow the process. They are the person that ostracizes themselves because they're, you just don't want to be around them, right? Like they're the ones that they walk into the staff meeting. You're like, oh, couldn't he have been sick today? I can't handle like the negativity that he brings. And so, you know, I think if all of us are being honest with ourselves as leader, myself included, you can't see me, see me, but my hand is raised. I've been that person in my career and that is not the way to create change. A pro troublemaker is a positive change maker that people actually want to work with. They are inspiring. They're charismatic. They are attractive, meaning like when you're around them, you just want to be around them more and more. They bring joy. Bring curiosity. So they ask more questions than give dictates. They are what I call high achievers, meaning that in the best sense of the word, they are here to accomplish something with excellence and they want to invite you along to the journey, just like that culture that you described, right? Like we're going to have high expectations and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to adapt along the way. We know that no plan goes according to plan. All right, we're going to figure it out together. Those are pro troublemakers. Those are people that invite you along, that are willing to educate you. And those are the people that I get to help coach in my own business and folks that I hope will listen into the Hot Mess Hotline as well to say, how do I do that more effectively? How do I embrace change and do it with joy and do it with other people? Because in my career before starting my own company, I was versions of the troublemaker and I knew there had to be another way. I certainly had leaders that modeled the way for me. And so in my research, I figured out what it takes to be a pro troublemaker, someone that drives that change that people actually want to work with. And that's what I equip my folks with. And how do you identify? So I heard you say that this is kind of the space you love to play and love to engage with. How do you identify who those individuals are? If I'm in an organization that I'm like, you know, I do have a couple of troublemakers and I'd like to have them become pros at what they do and take a little bit different viewpoint. Yes. How does one do that? How do you approach them? How do you start the conversation? Yeah, I try to model it in my marketing as a, as a way for people to see my LinkedIn post or to see it on the podcast to be like, I want some more of that, Stephanie. I'm like, okay, let's have that conversation. You know, a lot of my people are drawn to me because they're drawn to my joy. They're drawn to my optimism. And so I feel like I'm kind of the first line of defense, right? If I get on your nerves, don't call me. It's okay. <laughs> um, but if you want some of the joy that I bring to workplaces, we should talk. But usually what I'm hearing when folks are being troublemakers is, gosh, you know, before the pandemic, she was on fire. She was leading her team, but now she feels really burnout and crispy and we don't know how to fix that for her. Or we've got leaders who they seem really selfish, but I know we know that they're not. Help us understand how this person can communicate maybe from other people's perspectives or have more empathy. Um, I'll hear that a lot. Or this leader is driving so much change that their people are burnt out. There is such a thing as too much change, right? Like when we take it to the other end of the spectrum, how do we help you kind of rein that in and do it in a more measured approach? 
And so every disk profile, when they overuse their strengths, it becomes a weakness and not to be cliche, but that's how it ends up. Right. And so when you have a leader who is too anything and you can't see me right now, but I'm doing air quotes around too, too something, too ambitious, too aggressive, too nice, too helpful. That tells me that that is probably someone who is here to serve the world. They've just overused their strengths and they need help bringing that back in so that they can be authentic, be themselves and not burn out themselves. Stephanie, in your, as you work with, let's get into the individual standpoint. So as you're coaching, how are you helping me? If my company's going through change, which we are, all of us are, <laughs> we certainly, yeah. certainly we're going through change. We're going through, and I'm feeling stuck. It's like, I know I want this, but I'm a little afraid. I'm fearful, mm-hmm. I'm concerned. What are you getting me to think about so that I can come along, that I join the team, that I'm mm-hmm. comfortable opening up the car door and getting in and riding with everyone else in the organization. How are you helping me get there? Yeah, so I'm going to work with a leader who feels stuck, who I'm going to assume is kind of stuck in that confusion land of the change curve that we talked about earlier. One, if your needs aren't being met by the organization, can you articulate your own needs? I just had a conversation with a leader that we're going to start coaching with her earlier this week. And it's, she's frustrated because the organization isn't meeting her needs. But when I say, what do you need from the organization? She doesn't know that either. And so sometimes we need help saying, this is what I need out of my job in order to be successful. My coaching can help you articulate that. Or if you're a leader who wants to accomplish something really big in your organization, but you feel like the leaders above you aren't giving you what you need, it's your job to create clarity. Use a coach to help you define and create clarity for your own sphere of influence both as an individual and for the team that you supervise below your top level management in your company. Gosh, there's just so many ways to feel stuck in an organization. Oftentimes it feels the first place to start is to be able to say, this is what I need to move forward. And so coaching can really help you articulate that. Or if you have an interpersonal issue with a colleague that you don't know how to sort that out, right? There's just tension there or there's confusion, use your coach. And my coaches and I, we do this. Use your coach to be able to construct a healthy conversation with that person so that you guys can move forward. Or you don't know where to start with a project, right? Like it's just so ambiguous and you've got a hot mess on your hands and it's kind of chaotic and weird and icky. And you're like, I just don't know what to do with this. We help our clients create that plan or If we can't even articulate a plan yet, because you're like, I don't know what to do with this. All right, what are steps one, two, and three? Let's at least get steps one, two, and three, and let's get you taking action so you can see the problem with more clarity, then you can create the plan. Sometimes as organizations, we create too much pressure on ourselves to create a plan when things are too nebulous and we've got to instead focus on what to do next. What's the next best step? Let's do that. Let's do that with joy. And then we can create a full plan. So, yeah. Yeah. We certainly find, Stephanie, that so many organizations wonder why their strategic plans weren't effective and why (laughs) these pillars of change that we needed to implement in order to get where we wanted to go, it didn't work. And 
so often you realize that one, you have no individual contribution plans, which means you have no functional strategies. Oh, yes. That align oh, yes. To the goals. You've got no, you know, what we uh, even call some like internal culture teams that are managing flow and the feel and the experience. And they, some, many cases, don't bring cross-functional teams together to interact, to get a voice of the actual experience of an organization. So yes. if you have a plan that we've written down on a piece of paper and we don't have how that plan actually gets executed and how people got involved, as we say, no plan ever got achieved without humans, right? <laughs> so if the humans around you and the humans that are going to join you do not see clarity of alignment. Hence, this is the reason why. So that strategic plan leader, that you know, outside advisor that came in to help you create the plan, if there's not a follow-through implementation and long-term commitment to help you achieve the plan, we would ask you to second guess who you're using. Yes. The other thing is, Stephanie, I know with a lot of your coaching, the goal isn't just to work with people that are struggling. It's also to work with people who can accelerate these things by learning the new behaviors Yes, and then showcasing those behaviors and maybe even becoming a coach for their employees to do the same, right? No, that's exactly right. You know, it coaching can be used in a couple different, when we're in a couple different spots as teams and as individuals. And it's when you feel like you're on fire, you're like, man, I got this. That's a great time to bring in a coach to be like, all right, help me understand what next level is. Help me understand how I can make this even better because folks that have that growth mindset, they never settle. They know that there's always a next level. Oh, those are, oh, that's the good stuff that we get to work on with our people because that's when you, you understand that you know that you don't know it all and you need some guidance to take that to the next level. And I'll add to that too. You know, we've gotten into the work around vision alignment and execution And this is coming out of some research out of Wiley and I'm a certified partner with Wiley. So I have access to this assessment and this work, but there's a book that I read called the work of leaders that set me on fire a few years ago. And what their research shows is that as leaders, oftentimes what we can be really good at is defining the vision, usually with not enough people, but we're pretty good at defining the vision. And then we jump straight into execution of that vision and of that plan. And the step that we skip is the alignment piece. So we create the vision. We say, here's where we need to go. Here's what we believe the data supports the plan. Here's what we believe the plan is. These are the steps. Now go and do. And we don't take enough time to align our people to what actually needs to happen. And there's some continuums that will tell us what kind of leader we are in that process. But as leaders, we need to do a better job of saying, all right, here's the vision. Will you get on board with me, which is alignment? Now let's go and do, which is the exact process you articulated in slightly different words. But there's so much more room for us as leaders to take more time to get our people on board before we start going and doing. And everyone's listening like, Stephanie, we don't have time for that. Well, you also don't have time for confusion land and the bottom of that, the valley of despair and the change curve creating alignment shortens the amount of time that people stay in that confusion land. It keeps people moving more quickly because you take the time to get them on board. It is, you know, the question is, where do you want to invest the time? Yes. Yep. Front end, which I mean, 
Stephanie, I don't understand why most organizations don't, most leaders, most don't understand that if I spend a lot more time up front preparing Mm -hmm. and getting individuals ready and communicating and engaging in a transparent way and laying out the storylines, figuring Mm -hmm. out the concerns in advance, investing heavily in the upfront, that's what changes the outcomes. Yes. So many just jump in and then wonder why the outcomes are happening. They spend all of their time fixing the outcome, not the opportunity upfront. Yes. And it's just fascinating to me. I mean, they're the world of leaders. So everybody's rushing to get things done. And we all need to move faster and we all need to make decisions quicker and grow. And But you haven't laid the foundation and framework to enable that behavior. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. take the time, pause, challenge, push back and say, we need to spend a little bit more time in advance to where when it happens, when we're going to roll out this change, people feel very confident and comfortable because They know they can trust you. They know they can share their perspectives. They understand the vision. And this change ties so much to the vision Mm -hmm. that we almost have to do it, right? Yeah, you have to do it. You have to go 100% remote in a work environment that's never been 100% remote. And you have to do it Monday. So come in now, get your stuff and get out. Yep. We all did it, you know, so... When the necessity's there, when the alignment's there, here's what's taking place, just makes it easier. So spend the time up front, be proactive, get coaching, get outside advisors to come around you and help. Yes. And you will save yourself millions of dollars and you will gain millions of tens of millions of dollars in return by doing it this way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So, Stephanie, what is one additional thing that you want to leave with our listeners, our members, our community today to have them walk away and challenge themselves on doing differently tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions in advance. If you in that meeting feel like someone's not on board, if you feel in that meeting that there's something that's, that is being left unsaid, say it out loud. Don't let folks leave that room because you know when they're going to talk about it, as soon as you're out of earshot, ask people to have the hard conversations when you're together. Love it. Love it. Stephanie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for your energy, your passion, your desire to help people be pro-troublemakers and to continue to change the world. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I love opportunities to share this with people that are my people too. So thank you. I'm so glad we're connected. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet Eye on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. 
You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Zippel Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.